Appreciate you stopping by, giving a listen, and hanging out with us here on this Wednesday Eve. Um, I'm back. It's been a couple weeks. Took a little break. Watched a lot of basketball. And we have a lot of to- lot to talk about. Um, NBA playoffs are well underway now into the first round here. A um, couple teams in the East have moved on to the second round. Every other game is going to a game six at the minimum. Um, so a lot of really competitive series so far. Uh, lots of interesting notes to go through. Some fun statistics that we pulled because, you know, on the show we do like to put a little bit more of an emphasis on statistics because I just find them really interesting. Um, and so I'll just go ahead and say right off the bat, all of the statistics that I'm <clears throat> using um, are coming from basketballreference.com. So big shout out to them. I love that website. Um, if you want pretty much any statistic, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, any advanced or basic statistic, uh, you can go to Basketball Reference. The, they, they, they have, like, like I said, they have advanced statistics, but they don't have like the super advanced statistics that you find on like Second Spectrum and all those crazy advanced specific stats. They don't have those, but um, they have all the ones that I care about. So, or that I understand. So anyways, so just wanted to get that off the bat credit to basketball, basketball reference for every single statistic that I use in this episode. Um, But yeah, so round one of the NBA playoffs uh, started about two weeks ago, I think. Um, just about um and it's it's been really entertaining so far i think <clears throat> i think pretty much every series even the celtics net series even though the celtics swept the nets which we'll get to that in a minute um nevertheless like there were some there were some entertaining games entertaining runs and quarters um I mean, obviously, if you're a Nets fan, not as entertaining, but just for sports and basketball fans in general, like me, who was hoping to get a good series, obviously, I would have hoped the Nets to be a little more competitive in it, but nevertheless, still entertaining to watch. Um, So with that being said, we're going to go through each series um, and just kind of break down. Obviously, only two series have ended at this point, so we're going to go through those series um, a little bit more in depth than the rest, just because the numbers are, you know, quote unquote finalized for those series um, because they're over. Uh, But then the rest, we're still going to dive into each series and kind of give you an outlook and, um, you know, see where we think everything's headed. So with that being said, um, one statistic I just wanted to kind of get off the bat here. Um, to kind of cover us through all these other series um, 
is that the the game five winner of um, a two two series goes on to win the series eighty two percent of the time. So the winner of game five is th- these numbers are a little old. I couldn't find like a, a more updated. I don't know if I just like wasn't looking in the right places or you know didn't find the right website for it or whatever. But um, winners of game fives in a series tied two to two is 147 and 33 as of 2015 um, to go on to win that series. So again, 82% of the time, whoever wins game five in a 2-2 series goes on to win the series. Um, So keep that in mind for 76ers, Raptors, Grizzlies, Timberwolves, Mavs, Jazz, and Suns, Pelicans. So a good amount of the series um, their game fives were in a two to two series. Um, so that being said, um, let's jump into the heat and the Hawks. So the heat, uh, beat the Atlanta Hawks four to one in total in that series. Um, in what was a pretty uncompetitive series, um, you know, Atlanta fans may be quick to defend the early exit uh, and say, you know, John Collins was returning from injury. Clint Capella got injured in game one, um, you know, blah, 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 blah. But that doesn't fly with me because, A, this is the playoffs. That stuff happens to every single team. So you just you can never use that as an excuse for losing. Um, every team deals with an injury like this uh, of some sort. Um And basically to go hand in hand with that, the heat had the same thing where Kyle Lowry missed the last two games. Jimmy Butler did not play game five. Um, So they were playing without their arguably two of their three best players for, you know, games four and five. Um, Whereas the Hawks had John Collins for every game in the series. He, his minutes slowly got bumped up each game. Um, and Clint Capella, while he missed, I think he missed like one and a half, maybe two and a half games total. He still, again, ended up playing majority of the series. So it just, it, it was, it was much more than that for the Hawks. Right. Um, a lot of times with the NBA, especially when it comes to playoffs, it's all about the matchups, right? That's why we see the Pelicans taking it to the Suns um, and stealing two games from them. That's why we see, um, you know, the the Timberwolves taking it to the Grizzlies. That's why we saw the Heat just pretty much embarrass the Hawks that entire series, um, especially and specifically Trey Young. Um Led the league in scoring and assists this regular season um, and didn't do a whole lot of either of those in the series. Um, he he had more turnovers uh, than field goals made in the entirety of the series, which is just like an abomination. It's just like it's gross. Like he had 30 turnovers in the series, averaging six turnovers a game um, and only made 22 field goals. So it's not even like it's like, oh, 30 to 29. It's like it was 30 to 22. Um, he had a 
effective field goal percentage was 37% and his three point percentage was 18%. That is like abysmal. That's awful. Um, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo on their podcast on Sunday, I believe it was, we're talking about Trey and him being, you know, one of those flip flop players where as an NBA fan, you can't decide if you're on board with them or not of whether they're like good or not. Um, and I've always fallen on the, he is not good and he's overrated, um, trend. And I feel more validated than ever after this series, because not only was it a bad matchup for him against the, the heat where, um, you know, they, the, the, the Hawks love to run the pick and roll with Trey so that he can either get open, um, for, for a three or, you know, so they, they, they try to go under the screen. He gets a three, he can shoot it. They, um, they try to fight over the screen or they have to switch and then they have a big out on him and he can either shoot or drive on them or they do drop coverage and then he can drive the lane and get into the paint and use his floater. However, with the heat being one of the better defensive teams in the NBA and also having defensive player of the year candidate, Bam Adebayo, um, being a part of those pick and rolls defensively, he is able to come out and guard Trey Young one-on-one and stick with him, right? Like most bigs, like a uh, DeAndre Ayton, a, a Nikola Jokic, a, um, a Robert Williams, a Rudy Gobert. Those guys are going to be absolutely toast if they go out and switch onto Trey Young, right? But Bam Adebayo can stick with the guards. He can stick with the, the centers, so Trey couldn't get anything going when they'd switch on him. And then same with the drop coverages. They, the, the Heat made the adjustments and learned, and they just figured out how to defend Trey Young. So they just completely took him out of this series, right? Games two and three, he had 23 and 24 points, I think, respectively. Um, but he still shot the ball horribly, still turned the ball over a lot, and... Um, Uh, those are just the games where he got to the free throw line more and they still only ended up winning game three uh, and they only won it on a game winning shot. Um, so they just, they made him ineffective in this series. And when you can do that with a team who relies so heavily on one player who doesn't really have an option B for his bag of tricks, um, it exposes you, and that's what the Heat did to to Trey Young um, and to this Hawks team in general, because they're they're a deep team. You know, they're like a good basketball team on paper, but it just doesn't work with Trey Young leading them, in my opinion. And I think this showed it of just like Trey Young has, like offensively, he has his thing right, and he's very good at it, especially in the regular season. Um, you know, again, led the league in scoring and assists, like. That's a very talented offensive player. Um, but the playoffs, it's just different. It's just different than the regular season. Um, you're going to be guarded differently. You're going to be guarded harder. And you're playing the same team over and over again so they can make the adjustments. And if they're a smart defensive team and they're a well-coached team like the Heat and Eric Spolstra, they're going to make adjustments. They're going to figure you out. And they're going to make you have to go to your option B, C, and D 
to get your offense going. And we've seen other players in the playoffs so far get tested like that. And either you're like a Donovan Mitchell, where, again, you also just are kind of being exposed right now and um, your team's not looking too hot, or you're someone like a Devin Booker, uh, a Steph Curry, um, uh, Jason Tatum, where you have other options in your offensive arsenal where if they eliminate one of them or they just focus on one, you can just go to the other one then, right? Um, so, you know, kudos to the Heat, really, for for the, for locking Trey Young up, but also just, you know, man, not a good series for, for Trey. Um, or the Hawks overall. They, they had 82 turnovers, um in that series compared to only 63 for the heat. I believe that was the most turnovers in the playoffs so far is the Hawks. Um, they also, this was really interesting. They averaged the Hawks did 113.9 points per game in the regular season, uh, which was sixth best in the NBA. And in this series against the Hawks, they averaged 97 Point four points per game, which was second to last of every playoff team so far in the postseason. So offense really not looking good. Defense could not stop the Heat. Um, so the Hawks, the the excuse me, the Heat are moving on to round two. Um, and the thing to, to to remember about this Heat team is they 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 weren't a sixty five win team coming into these playoffs, right? Like they they got the one seed, but they barely got it, and they kind of limped there, uh, not necessarily due to health or injuries, but more so due to just the team quasi imploding the last you know ten games of the regular season. Um, so obviously, this is the playoffs. It's different. You put that stuff behind you. And you just focus on, you know, winning the next game. Um, and the Heat did exactly that. And I think we all knew that they would be able to do that. But, you know, I don't think the Hawks were a real test for them, I guess I should say. Um, so, you know, don't be overzealous or overconfident in the Heat right now going into round two. But obviously they are going to have their heads held high going into uh, that matchup with whoever they end up playing in uh in round two next up the other series that finished excuse me the uh boston celtics sweeping the nets four to zero um surprising right we're surprised that they they swept them i i don't think anyone thought this was going to result in a sweep i I think a lot of people are actually fairly torn on this series of who was going to win it at all. And there were definitely people like in the media who picked the Nets to beat the Celtics in this series. Now, I did not. I was not one of those. I mean, I'm not a media member, but I was not one of those people. Um, And I'm surprised that there were people who thought the Nets could beat the Celtics in a seven-game series. Um. I don't know if they like thought that Robert Williams missing a couple of the games was going to be like 
a huge blow for them or if they just had way too much confidence in the two-man power trip of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving just like beating an entire team in the Celtics. But regardless, they were just wrong. Um, So Celtics sweep the Nets. It was, like I said in at the top of the show, obviously a, a 4-0 sweep is not a competitive series, but none of the games were a blowout. Like, I, I didn't think to look at this. I don't know why, but I don't think the Celtics won a single game by more than 10 points. Um, I mean, they won game one um, with a last-second buzzer-beater game winner by Jason Tatum. Um, and I think every other game was decided by 10 or less. So it just felt like there would be, it would, every game was a game of runs. And then it just like when it got to like the last half of the fourth quarter, the Nets just ran out of gas um, and couldn't get it done. Overall, I think the Celtics were just the better team. Obviously, the, you know, I hate when it's like, you know, if like the eighth seed beats the one seed, it's like, well, they were just the better team. Um, it's like, well, yeah, because they beat them. Like, but that's also not, I don't know. It's just like matchups can be weird too. And injuries and luck and all that stuff. But anyways, um, I think when, when it just comes down to it though, the Celtics are just a better team than the Nets, regardless of the matchup. And I think it's just people put, we, we, we've been accustomed to in the NBA, the, the big twos, the big threes, right. Um, and the Nets trading for James Harden to make a big three with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, signing them both in the offseason, uh, making them a big, a super team, and then obviously trading Harden for Ben Simmons. But, you know, having Kyrie and KD makes them a super team in pretty much everyone's eyes, right? And we're accustomed to the super teams being heavy favorites, right? Because we've seen them work out before. The The Heat won two championships with LeBron, D. Wade, and Chris Bosh. Um, the Warriors won two championships with Clay, Steph, Draymond, and Kevin Durant. Um, you know, the Lakers won a championship with LeBron and AD. So we've been accustomed to when super teams get put together, they do a decent amount they do a decent job at winning the championship um the nets were the odds-on favorites to win the nba finals this year before the season started um and they're the only team to get swept in the postseason so far so it just feels like we're so accustomed to being like oh i mean it's kevin durant and kyrie irving like they're two really good individual individual players they have to be favorites to win the finals and i just don't get that um Obviously, I think this is like that is a duo that does work well together, um, but not like super well, you know, like not the same as like Kevin um, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, or the same as like Chris Paul and Devin Booker, or Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, right? Where they can work off the ball and it's, you know, they can run pick and roll together. Um, you know, all, all sorts of stuff where they can bounce off each other and work together as opposed to the Nets with Kyrie and KD. They're just both ISO players and they just, that's their offense. 
And that's why I think the Celtics were able to beat them 4-0 because there it was so predictable. There was nothing to have to figure out, nothing to adjust to. It was just like, okay, they're going to get the ball to Kevin Durant or they're going to get the ball to Kyrie Irving and they're going to run an ISO play and we just have to stop that person from scoring. Um, which is obviously easier said than done when you're talking about two of the best players in the NBA today. But when you're also talking about one of the best defensive teams in the NBA today um, and a couple of the best two-way players alongside the in, the defensive player of the year um, in Marcus Smart, like they're going to make it really hard for you. And this is go back, goes back to the whole like Trey young thing where it's like, you need to have another bag of tricks up your sleeve or else in the playoffs, like you're just going to get exposed. And I think the nets got exposed of, Hey, if Kevin Durant's ISO doesn't work or he gets locked up, like that's the end of the possession. Like we're not going to get nothing. No one and nothing is going to bail him out because, you know, sometimes they can have a good half from their other guys. Like, you know, when Bruce Brown and Dragic in game three got 30 points in the first half, but then it was just one of those things where it's like, all right, fine. We can live with that though. Like we can live with Bruce Brown and Goran Dragic getting 30 points in the first half. If we're holding Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to, you know, 15 first half points and they're shooting terribly, turning the ball over a lot. Um, you live with that. Um, and that's what, the, that's exactly what the Celtics did. Um, it, it is a weird series statistically though, if you look at it, because the Nets had the higher um, field goal percentage, the higher three point percentage and the higher effective field goal percentage. Um, the Nets were also the first team in NBA history to shoot 50%, at least 50% from the field, at least 40% from three for the series and be eliminated. No team in NBA history in the playoffs has shot that well in a series and, and lost that series. Um, so putting up historic numbers and also like historic shooting numbers, but also historic numbers of getting eliminated, um, and even getting swept, um, Kyrie Irving, this is a big talking point. It'll continue to be a big talking point. I don't want to harp on it because anywhere you tune in or have been tuning in for the past week, that's all they've been, one of the only things they've been talking about, Kyrie Irving. Um, you know, wasn't there for the Nets for three quarters of the season and then was able to play um, a select handful of away games, um, depending on their health and safety protocols for COVID. And then eventually was able to play the last handful of home games. Once he was basically made an exception to the rule in New York city. Um, and, you know, now I think obviously one of the big talking points with him in this series is going to be Ramadan. Um, he's been fasting for Ramadan this whole series. And so that's obviously going to play a factor a, a, a relative factor in your conditioning and in your performance. I'm not knocking his choice to, to uh, participate in the fasting. Uh, I'm just saying, I think it's also just a scientific fact that, you know, playing professional basketball in the NBA at that level while fasting, is just going to be more difficult. And, um, that showed, I think he looked fairly gassed for a good amount of the series. 
Um, part of that, I think, was the fasting, but I think part of it also was just he wasn't in terrific basketball shape because he hadn't played all season until the last, you know, 15 or 20 games. Um, and, you know, the first game we saw kind of like a vintage Kyrie Irving, if you can say that, um, just because in his career he's missed, I think he's only played in 52% of a like of possible playoff games. So not a super available guy in the postseason. But that being said, had like a vintage Kyrie game in game one. I think he had finished with like 39 points or something and absolutely took over in the fourth quarter and led the Nets to storm back and take the lead, obviously until Jason Tatum made that buzzer beater to win the game for them. Um, But after that, he just kind of disappeared from the series. Games two through four, he averaged 15 points a game, shot 37% from the field, and was only two of 11 from three. Um, that last one is, like, weird. Uh, I mean, I know that Kyrie isn't, like, you know, a Steph Curry-type shooter, but for him to only attempt three, 11 threes in games two through four combined is like, it just is weird. It just, that's so low for today's NBA for a guard. Uh, I mean, even for a forward, like those, like you'd see two for 11 is like, like Trey young, I think shot that like every night from three, you know what I mean? Um, but Kyrie just kind of disappeared. He, he didn't take that many shots just in general. Uh, he didn't seem super involved in the offense and obviously on defense, he's always been, a decent live. I mean, not nothing crazy, but he's not known for his defense. I mean, the Nets aren't known for their defense, and that's the other thing that killed him in this series is you have two of the better offensive players in the NBA who got decently shut down by one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, and then they also have one of the worst defenses in the league, and they just had no answers for Tatum or um, or Jalen Brown or even like Al Horford for that matter, um, the entire series. So there was just not a whole lot of hope for them throughout. And it just, you know, it was not, again, like another series where it's like not a great look for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Uh, there's been a lot of like slander on Twitter and in the media about Kevin Durant. And, you know, can't believe anyone ever thought that he was the best player in the NBA or that he was, you know, better than LeBron at any point. Um, and, you know, to that degree, I would like to just remind everyone that the Nets just were in the playoffs and the Lakers um, missed out on even being the 10th seed in the West with LeBron James. So just keep that in mind. Um, the other, you know, quickly, I'll just hit on this. Um, I don't really want to harp on it because it's been getting harped on for like literally a year straight now, the Ben Simmons factor. Um, you would have loved to have seen him play, but like he was never going to play. You know what I mean? Like there was the rumors of like, Oh, when they first traded for him, like, Oh, is he going to be ready to play for their regular season game against the Sixers? And then it was, is he going to be able to make his debut uh, in the regular season at all? And then it was, is he going to make his debut in the play-in? And then it was, is he going to make his debut in round one? And then it was, is he going to make his debut in game four? Um, 
and it just never happens, never happens, never happened. Um, and here we are, um, one year later, Ben Simmons has not touched a basketball on an NBA court, has not played a single second. Um, it's just, you know, on the one side, it's like, hey, like, he wasn't even there for game four. Like, he wasn't even on the bench for them. Um, like, where was this guy? Like, it's 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 getting really hard to keep kind of excusing the back soreness and the the not being mentally ready to play yet kind of thing. Um, you, you like at this point, you know that part of it has to have been, you know, a ploy, I guess you could say, um, by his camp, you know, not ready to play, not ready to play back soreness, back soreness, back soreness. Um, oh, he might play, then he doesn't. And then he's getting ridiculed on social media. And then we find out, oh, um, his back soreness is being triggered by the mental health. And it's just, you know, it's just not a good look for him is what I'll say, because I don't want to diminish mental health or the effects that it can have on your body or a professional athlete. Um, but it is just also one of those things though, where it's like, well, then why is your camp or is, or why are the nets saying that it's, you know, he's probable to play in this game or we may see him debut, you know, next week and it just never happens, never happens, never happens. And it's like, is something being done about this? Like, do you need to maybe just step back from basketball for a little bit and not in the way where you're filing grievances for not, for getting fined for not playing in games because, you know, I don't know. It's just like, it's such a murky, weird situation. I don't like it. Um, but on the other hand though, like if like the nets, like, what did you expect? Like you knew this coming into the trade, like you knew when you traded Harden for Ben Simmons, that there was like a very good chance that he was not going to be playing this season at all for you. And he didn't. And like, they had to have known that. Um, so I don't know. I don't feel that bad for the nets. Um, I don't, I'm starting to feel less and less bad for Ben Simmons. Um, so, you know, it is what it is, but that being said, let's move on. Um, next series up, let's talk Bucks Bulls. Um, the Bucks currently lead the Bulls three to one in that series. Uh, Chris Middleton obviously been out since Game Two with that MCL strain or tear or whatever. We still don't know the exact severity of it. Um, I think he's doubtful to return in this series, but could definitely make a return uh, this postseason, depending on again how the severity of the injury. But hasn't been that bad of. Um, a blow to the Bucks yet at this point, uh, just because this Bulls team, you know, they've the second half of the season has just been bad for them, and they've just been bad, um, and that's carried over into the playoffs. Obviously, they were able to steal 
steal one um, at home in Chicago uh, to prevent themselves from being swept. Um, but, you know, I just, I don't think anyone thinks the Bulls are winning this series. I don't think anyone thought they were winning to begin with. But especially at this point, again, even with Middleton out, I don't think the Bulls have any real chance. Um, Giannis averaging a very pedestrian 28, 15, and 7 in 35 minutes a game. Um, I'm continually amazed by his efficiency in, you know, this is the playoffs now. This is where coaches stick to their like six or seven, maybe eight man rotations a lot of the times. And Giannis is still only playing 35 minutes a game in the first round. Um, he's just like staying fresh for that deep playoff run uh, where they're going to need more of those minutes. Um, and then real quick team comparison, just to kind of show you the disparity here. Uh, the Bucks are averaging 108 points per game on 55% effective field goal percentage so far, compared to the Bulls averaging 94 points a game on 45% effective field goal percentage. So not good numbers for the Bulls. Um, again, their offense just completely tanked like that second half of the season. Um, obviously, Lonzo Ball being out for them is is a factor, but. At the same time, he's been out for like majority of the season, and you know it's it falls on more than just him. Um, even having Patrick Williams back after he missed most of the regular season, that's been a help for them defensively, but offensively not helping their efficiency numbers that much. Um, you know, ninety four points a game in the playoffs is just not going to get it done for you. So, not a whole lot to really cover in that series because it's just it's been you know. It's been all bucks, even with the one loss. You know, it's just that was a game where DeRozan went off for like 45 or something. Um, you know, you're going to get those games in a series like this where they just kind of refuse to to be swept kind of thing. But look for the bucks to to close it here in game five. Um, not a whole lot else to talk about with that series. It's just not a whole lot happening. Um, next up. The the last Eastern Conference series here, uh, the 76ers lead the Raptors 3-2. to two. Um, This is the one I think a lot of people have their eye on now. It looked like it was going to be just like a, an embarrassing sweep for the Raptors, um, you know, with Siakam playing pretty poorly in those first two games, Van Vliet getting injured. Um, Someone else got injured too on the Raptors. I can't remember who it was. Oh, Gary Trent Jr. Um, getting injured in game one as well. And, you know, they were just not looking themselves at all. But all of a sudden, here they come winning two in a row to get the series to 3-2 um, after Philadelphia was up 3-0. Stealing game five in Philadelphia, which was huge. Um, and, you know... Doc Rivers has a chance to once again blow a 3-0 or a 3-1 lead in the playoffs like he's done so many times, um, adding to his legacy. Um, I just, I don't know, man. Obviously, Embiid hurt his thumb and is going to require surgery as soon as his season ends, whenever that is, as we've already known. But Harden has once again just disappeared in the playoffs and is 
not playing well. Um, Harden is averaging 18 points a game this series on 37% field goal percentage. Um, he's being outscored so far in this series by OG Ananobi. And that is not a knock at all on OG Ananobi. But he's never really been mentioned in the same breath as James Harden until this series. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So not a good look for Harden. Uh, Embiid, you know, looked great those first three games, but these last two, not looking great. Um, I mean, the Sixers as a whole in game five just did not look good. I think they scored, what, like 88 points or something like that? Extremely low, very embarrassing, especially at home in a closeout game five. So this is the only one where I think the team who is leading the series has a decent chance to lose it, right? Like the Heat led the Hawks the entire way in the series, and I think everyone saw the Heat winning that one. Celtics led the entire way. I think everyone saw them winning that one. Well, most people. Bucks have led the whole way. I think everyone thinks they're going to win. The Grizzlies have not led the whole way. Um, so can't say it about them. Warriors have led the whole way. Everyone sees them winning it. The Mavs, I don't know, maybe not. The Suns, I think everyone sees them winning their series too. But I digress. Um, I think the 76ers lead in this series is the most at risk. I'll just leave it at that. So we'll see what happens with them. Game six in Toronto. Um, if Toronto can tie this thing up, I think then they're they're winning the series. If they can win game six and then I don't think they're losing game seven. Um, Cause at this point, the momentum is just fully behind the Raptors and they're still, and they're doing this all without their best player or their second best player in Fred Van Vliet. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Keep an eye on it. Uh, next up Grizzlies, Timberwolves, Grizzlies lead three, two after a thrilling finish to game five last night in Memphis. Um, it was a pretty ugly game for the first three quarters, but that fourth quarter really turned it up into the sixth gear. Um, and it was really entertaining. Jaw went off in the fourth quarter. Um, and the Timberwolves kind of collapsed as we've seen them do so spectacularly this series so far. Um, man, <clears throat> lots to talk about in this series, honestly. Um, Desmond Bain. Easily the second best Grizzly right now. Um, and has been huge for them throughout this series. Uh, he leads the playoffs and made threes so far at 22. And he's shooting at 47% from three. Not from the field, but from three. He's shooting 47%. He is absolutely light at lights out so far this series. He's been... Um, you know, definitely holding his own on the defensive end. He's got a tough assignment in uh, Anthony Edwards, but and sometimes D'Angelo Russell, but he's holding his own. He's doing well. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. for the Grizzlies has 26 fouls through five games, um, and he's fouled out twice so far. So he's fouled out in two out of their five games. Um, he's been pretty much completely unavailable for them because he's always in foul trouble. He can't, he can't stay on the floor because he's always getting in foul trouble. And the fouls he's getting are just dumb and just bad. 
it's it's really frustrating or sad to watch depending on how you feel about the Grizzlies as a whole and how you're kind of rooting for them because he is a player with such potential um and he has he's such a gifted athlete but he is so so undisciplined and makes a lot of bad decisions a lot of bad fouls and i mean he's averaging i think 25 minutes a game in the series because he cannot stay out of foul trouble. He fouled out again last night with like four or five minutes left in the game. Um, you know, luckily at this point, they haven't necessarily needed him They're You know, they're still leading the series without him being too much of a factor for them. But when he is on the court, they are special, right? So in those 25 minutes that he is able to play, um, is when they're really able to solidify, you know, their lead or make their comeback. Um, they, they're, they're a special team with him on the court and they've been able to get it done, you know, obviously without him. Um, part of that also has to do with Carl Anthony Towns. Um, man, that guy cannot decide if he wants to be good or not. And I'm glad that I don't like him cause I would be so frustrated if I did, because he'll go from, you know, a very efficient 32 and 14 and four game with, you know, four or five threes and, um, you know, a well-disciplined game to a game last night where he still gets up, you know, 25 and 12, but gets into foul trouble, turns the ball over a lot. Um, complains to the ref a lot. Like he's he's one of those players where if things aren't going his way, you can tell, and it affects his game. You know, I think when it comes to the postseason, what separates a lot of the superstars from the good players is being calm and cool under pressure and not letting it get to you. Right? Um, we've seen you know a whole host of players go through these, uh, you know, shooting slumps or getting bad foul calls or turning the ball over a lot, but they push through and they stay cool and collected and composed. Um, and they're able to still contribute to their team. But Carl Anthony Towns is just not that way. If it's not going for him, if his shots aren't falling, if he's being defended well, if he's fouling a lot, if he's turning the ball over a lot, he pouts, he complains, he yells at the refs, um, and it just it affects the team very negatively. And it's just very obvious, and it's been obvious throughout this entire series. He has 25 turnovers so far this series, which is the second most in the playoffs um, right now. Um, it just... He can't take care of the ball. He cannot stay out of foul trouble. Um, and he cannot keep his composure. So it's frustrating if you're a Timberwolves fan. You got to hope that for, you know, game six in Minnesota, he's able to stay collected, make well-disciplined decisions on the court, not make dumb fouls, um, commit dumb fouls, and, you know, don't get a big head. That's one thing I really don't like that. I've, I mean, again, like I said, I've never liked him as a player, but the past few years, but especially this year, he's just gotten a, 
he's gotten really cocky. He's gotten a real big head. Um, I think Patrick Beverly has a lot to do with that. I think Anthony Edwards has been a part of that as well. Um, you know, way too much gloating and celebrating and trash talking that has just all come back in in his face and in the Timberwolves' faces. Um, it just like it just has not worked out for them. Again, obviously, we know in Game Two with that massive lead that they blew, um, or was that Game Three? I can't remember honestly. Um, and you know, he's trash talking. He's doing the too small thing. Even last night, he made a three to put them up. I think 10 or 11 in the fourth quarter and he's shushing the crowd. He's doing the too small. He's trash talking his way up and down the court. And then, you know, a couple plays later, he's turning the ball over, turning the ball over, bricking a three way too early in the shot clock, um, getting a dumb foul. And before you know it, the Grizzlies have won the game. Um, so I think I, I think the Grizzlies are going to hang on to win this. I never thought that they were going to lose the series, um, even after that game one kind of shocker from the Timberwolves. I just I think the Grizzlies are a more composed team. I think they're a deeper team, um, and I think they're more experienced. And they just you know, I think I think they just have more composure, and that's where it comes down to. Um, fouls have been a big thing in this series too. Um, four players in this series are in the top 10 for fouls committed throughout the play postseason so far. Jaron Jackson has 26 leading the playoffs. Uh, Patrick Beverly has 22, which is second. Carl Anthony Towns has committed 21, which is tied for third. And Anthony Edwards has committed 19, which I believe is tied for like fifth, um, so lots and lots of fouls being committed, uh, especially by the Timberwolves. So they need to get that under control as well if they want to be able to try to steal the series from the Grizzlies. Moving right along to the Warriors Nuggets, uh, similar to the Bucks and Bulls, not a whole lot to talk about here. The Warriors lead 3-1. Um, you know, they were up 3-0. They dropped game four in Denver. It was just, you know, the classic... We're not going to go down without a fight. We're not going to get swept kind of game from the Nuggets and from Jokic. Um, again, it's something that you know we expected to see. But the Nuggets are just completely outmatched here. Um, they just they have no answer. Again, this is one of those matchup things where it's just they have no answer for the Warriors to begin with, but especially with Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray being out and Jokic just having to completely carry this team on his back. He's just not able to do it against this Warriors team. Um, their new death lineup is just unmatched right now with uh, Steph, Poole, Thompson, Wiggins, and Green. Um, they may be starting tonight's Game 5 with that to just try to immediately seal this game for them. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but um, Steph has been terrific. He's averaging 28 points a game in 28 minutes a game. Very efficient, um, shooting the ball well. He's over 50, percent which you know is is good for him. Jordan Poole averaging uh, 24 points a game. Clay averaging 25 points a game. He is second in threes made in the postseason behind Desmond Bain, so he is looking back to back to form. Um, 
And these Warriors look like a very, very dangerous team once again. Um, next up in the West, another interesting series where the Mavs lead the Jazz 3-2. to two. Um, <clears throat> The spectacular collapse of the Utah Jazz continues. And I think it will end. Um, and finally, the team will be put to rest uh, this year with, I, I think the Mavs are going to close them out in game six, um, in Utah. And I think, uh, I think the Mavs will move on and we will see the duo, excuse me, of Gobert and Mitchell broken up. Um, this is just like a bad look for the jazz, right? Like they had three games against the Mavs without Luka and they lost two of them. Like a team like the Mavs led by someone like Luka Doncic, where I'm not going to say that it's as reliant on their star as a team, like maybe the Hawks or the um, Nuggets right now. But Luka, obviously, as we all know, does the heavy lifting for this team. But this Mavs team really stepped up with him out with that calf strain. Um, They were two and one without him. They, um, you know, they lost game four with him coming back, but game five, they won obviously very soundly in his return to form. Um, Jalen Brunson is leading the playoffs in scoring. Obviously that's going to go down with Luca back in the lineup and he's averaging, 31 and a half points a game in his two games back so far. Um, but you know, Brunson really stepped up for them, uh, you know, so far in this series. And I think even if they never got Luca back, I still picked the Mavs to win this series because this jazz team, man is is truly historically falling apart and imploding. Uh, like I don't think we've ever seen before. It's just, it's been from day one of this series of this season. Um, you know, they were a decent regular season team <clears throat> finished as the fifth seed, but man, I don't think anyone thought they were going to make a deep playoff run. Um, I don't think anyone had, finals or championship aspirations for them. Um, and they're getting exposed, man. Once again, Rudy Gobert complaining about not being, uh, you know, lauded as this defensive God, even though he won defensive player of the year, three years in a row, he didn't win this year and immediately was complaining about it saying, if anyone else was doing what I'm doing and their name wasn't Rudy Gobert, like they'd be winning defensive player of the year easily. And I'm just like, First of all, stop focusing so much on this meaningless award. Like, it's Defensive Player of the Year, man. Like, this doesn't change. It's not like all, all, all NBA teams where it affects your contract status or your pay. Um, it's not in your contract where you get, like, a bonus for every award you win. And even if it is, it's, like, $500,000. It's not a big deal in these $100 million contracts you sign. It's it's not even like MVP like I don't know it's just like it's a it's an award man like 
you have bigger things to focus on. And then it comes to the playoffs and he's talking all this stuff and complaining about how he's not being treated as this defensive icon in the NBA. And then he just gets completely exposed in the playoffs by these teams who, who go small and make him come out of the paint. And he immediately has no idea what to do. And, complains about not getting enough touches offensively. And then as soon as they give him the ball in the post, he turns it over and it just looks like he's never had, he's never posted someone up before. It's just like, man, like he complains a lot and, and talks a lot of trash for like really not being able to back it up in the postseason when it actually matters. Um, Donovan Mitchell uh, doing everything he can for the team, but just, playing really inefficiently like he knows how best. Uh, averaging 26 points a game and 38 minutes a game, uh, 38% from the field and 20% from three, just not shooting well. And again, like Trey Young, um, like that, you know, the Trey Young problem just does not have a, an option B offensively. And he's starting to become a lot more of a liability on defense, especially in that game five, that fourth quarter. He was just getting blown by on every single play. It was hard to watch almost if I didn't like seeing it so much. Um, but this the, the Jazz offense is just collapsing right now. Um, they're shooting 27.8% from three in the playoffs. They shot 36% in the regular season. Um, they averaged 113.6 points per game in the regular season. They're at 99.6 in the playoffs. So a 14 point drop, um, in playoffs or in scoring for them in the playoffs. So not, um, not looking too great for them. And I, I, like I said, I, I've picked the Mavs this whole way through, even with Luca being out. And now that he's back and he looks just like immediately back to form for them, I think it's just it's over for the Jazz in in more than one way. So, um, yeah. Finally, the series that is nearest and dearest to my heart that is keeping me up way past my bedtime and is stressing me out more than it should. The Suns lead the New Orleans Pelicans three to two after a uh, a a great win game five win for the Suns last night. Um, you know. This series has been one of the more surprising ones, I think. I mean, obviously, with Devin Booker being out since the second half of Game 2, that's been huge uh, for the Pelicans to take advantage of that, and the Suns have not been able to step up until last night. Um, But, man, even with that Game 5 win, the Suns just do not look like themselves because their bench is not playing well. Um, Cam Johnson... Cameron Payne and uh, um, why am I blanking right now? Jay Crowder and Landry Shamit not hitting their threes. I mean, the Suns as a whole are just not hitting their threes at all. But those guys, especially Cam Johnson, um, just not reliable at all right now after being very reliable in the regular season. And, and, you know, we saw this team when Chris Paul was out, when Devin Booker has been out, they've stepped up, you know, it's their motto next man up. And that's those games have been when, you know, guys like Mikhail Bridges have stepped up guys like Cam Johnson, Cameron Payne, even Landry Shamit sometimes have stepped up to fill in 
the void of either Chris Paul or Devin Booker being out. But it's been tough this series. Um, and, you know, obviously credit to the Pelicans for, you know, just playing with a massive chip on their shoulder this entire series and giving it to them uh, since game one. Um, you know, it's been it's been a tough series for the Suns. I, I, I think they're going to win. I, I, I have always... I haven't been nervous about them winning the series. I, I've felt like they've had it under control and would be able to grit it out even if it did go to a game seven. But it's like one of those things where, you know, it's the playoffs now, man. Like this isn't the regular season and people are playing for their lives, you know, because their season depends on it. So they're going to play as hard as they can. And the Pelicans are doing exactly that. And they're a, they're a bad matchup for the Suns, which plays into their favor. But, you know, you're going to be tested in the playoffs. And if you're a championship team, these are the tests that you have to pass, you know? And I think I have faith in the Suns to do that. Um, Some statistics to go through here real quick. Uh, Chris Paul leads the playoffs in total assists right now. Um, He has, I believe, 62 or 60 so far. Um, He's the only player to have at least 10 assists in every single game so far this postseason. Um, he's averaging, I think, 22 points and 12 assists a game. Um, Brandon Ingram has been lights out for the Pelicans so far. He is just absolutely torching Jay Crowder on defensive on the defensive end. He's averaging 28, 6, and 5 on shooting splits of 49, 43, and 82. Um, you know, put up 38 the other night. Um, He's just, he's getting whatever he wants on the offensive end. Jay Crowder has just not been good for the Suns this entire series. Um, You know, he hasn't hit any of his threes. He's getting a lot of fouls. He's not doing a good job against Brandon Ingram. Um, But, you know, he had a better game last night. Hit a couple of, hit a couple of threes finally. So hopefully we'll get um, one of those typical, you know, Jay Crowder games in game six where he hits, you know, he goes six for eight from three. Um, Valanciunas is also having a great series. He, uh, he leads the playoffs right now in total rebounds. Um, and as a player, he has more offensive rebounds so far this postseason than the entire golden state warriors team does. Um, the, he's dominating the boards, the Pelicans in general, um, are, are destroying the Suns. They're plus 56 in total rebounds this series uh, over the Suns. So a lot of that on the offensive glass. Um, and, you know, it's nothing too out of the ordinary for the Suns. They oftentimes do get out-rebounded in their games. Um, so it's it's nothing, you know, crazy. But it is just something where it's like, wow, that is a glaring discrepancy there. Um, and you know, Valanciunas is averaging, I think like 16 boards a game. He had like almost 30 in game one. He had seven boards. And I think the first like five minutes of the game last night, you know, he, uh, he's really underrated. Um, he, he's a great, great rebounder. Um, but Mikhail Bridges had a great, great game five last night for the Suns. finally stepped up. They had someone step up other than Chris Paul, 
um, which is what they needed, and that's what they got from him, and that was huge for them and huge for him. Hopefully that'll get his confidence up, and he'll stay aggressive in Game 6. Um, in Game 5, he took and defended 17 field goals. So he took 17 shots in the game, and as the primary defender, he defended 17 field goals. Um, he shot 12 for 17 from the four for 31 points. Um, and he held his opponents to shoot three for 17 for a total of seven points in that game. So he came up massively clutch for the Suns last night in game five. They're going to need that again. Um, in game six, if Booker does not return, obviously it's been rumored and thought that Booker would just be out for this entire series. But there are some people within the Suns camp um, and media who believe that Devin Booker will, you know, barring any unforeseen circumstances, will be making his return in game six in New Orleans to try to seal the deal for the Suns. Um, You know, and you hope that he's at 100% and they wouldn't rush him back. Um, but if so, you would love to see Devin Booker back for the Suns team to kind of try to get this, uh, get this series wrapped up because it's getting scarier as it goes on. But, you know, the Suns are looking a little bit more like themselves as every game goes on, especially after game five. Um, but that being said, it's been a great series. Um, the playoffs overall have been really entertaining. I've been really enjoying watching them. It's, Everything you can really be hoping for out of a first round so far, I think. Again, I think other than maybe the Nets being a little bit more competitive in their series, I think everything else has been great. Um, Like I said, every series other than the Heat and Celtics series is going to at least a game six. Uh, I think we may be seeing two or three series go to a a game seven as well. Uh, So very competitive series. Very entertaining. We've seen some great highlights already so far. John Morant with arguably one of the best, if not the best, playoff dunks in NBA history last night. Make sure you go watch that clip on YouTube. It was, I literally jumped out of my seat last night. It was unbelievable. Um, Some great game winning shots that we've seen so far. So I'm really enjoying the playoffs. I hope you guys are too. Um, Let me know if you are. Send an email to sportstalkerswag at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the playoffs. Let me know your thoughts on the show. If there's anything you want me to talk about, um, make sure you follow us on social media. Uh, Facebook is Sports Talk with Swag. That's where we go live every Wednesday around 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the uh, live video stream of the episodes. But if you can't make it to that or if that's not your thing, um, you can listen to the audio format on uh, iTunes, Spotify, um, Amazon, anywhere you can listen to podcasts. Um, follow us on Instagram. That's also Sports Talk with Swag. Twitter is STWSCast. That's where I'm the most active um, and I interact with you know a lot of different tweets and, and, and people. Um, so make sure to give us a follow there before um, it goes private and it costs money from Elon Musk. Um, yeah, other than that, though, I want to thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for hanging out in the live stream on Facebook. And uh, I will see you guys in the next episode. Peace.
Sports Talk with Swerve.